Hear the word of the Lord from Hebrews 11, 23 through 29. You can follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen. Hebrews 11, 23 through 29. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to the reward, to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. This is the word of the Lord. Um, <clears throat> to be honest with you guys, I'm a little emotional right now. That I wasn't expecting to get emotional with that prayer today, but um, I'll be honest, I am so unbelievably excited about meeting Hudson. Um, it's kind of like for me, it's different for me and Gina, because like with Gina, with Josiah, she like kind of knew him already, because like he was in her, so like, <laughs> he was like, I know this baby, but for me, it feels very similar to that experience. Because I didn't know Josiah because he was in her. And so I was like, I don't really know him. There's like a bump in the belly. And I'm like, oh, that's... But I was just so eagerly anticipating the day when Josiah was going to be here. And I was going to be able to hold him and be like, I've been praying for him and knowing him and just eagerly anticipating. And so it feels very similar to me as I'm going and we're, we're leaving soon. On May 23rd, we're leaving May 23rd. Uh, coming back June 8th. And um, we're going to pick up Hudson. His name is Zhu Yingji. And we're naming him Hudson after Hudson Taylor. And um, man, I'm just so unbelievably excited. You know, I remember when Josiah was born, he was 10 days late. So Gina was not happy with that. But just like this eager anticipation, like when is this finally happening? And when we finally got the date and we bought the plane tickets, and now we're just kind of like, I, I'll be honest with you, I, have, I can't concentrate on church work. So if this sermon is terrible, I apologize in advance. <laughs> I guess this is all I'm thinking about right now, so sorry. <laughs> this is my excuse ahead of time for the next couple sermons, but I'm so excited that he gets to come to this family. I just, I'm just so excited about that. I mean, I, it's, it's, I'm pumped that he gets to come to my family with me and Gina and Josiah. We're excited about that, but I'm so even more excited about the fact that we're not the only ones he's going to see modeling Christ. We're not the only ones that's going to be praying for him and loving him. I'm so excited that you guys are going to be praying for him and loving him and discipling him and showing him Jesus. And so to me, that's just like the most exciting thing in the world. So thank you guys so much. And thank you for how much you guys have been praying. This whole process has been so exciting. And can I just say this? I can't wait for Gotcha Day. When we, that's what they're calling it. They call it Gotcha Day. So I can't wait for Gotcha Day. And I can't wait for how many others in this church body that's going to be embracing those gotcha days. And um, how many others, children who have been in foster care that we're going to foster or that we're going to adopt um, around the world and locally. So I'm excited about that. So thank you. I just want a little side note. 
We're currently in the book of Hebrews. We've been in there since January, so we've been in there for a long time. But we're specifically in the section right now in Hebrews that's often referred to as the Hall of Faith. That's Hebrews 11. And we've been looking at the people that the author of Hebrews highlighted as a means of encouraging his readers to continue to hold fast to their faith and to run with perseverance. He's saying that these great heroes, they did it. They ran by faith. You can do it too. They broke the four-minute mile barrier, so the four-minute mile barrier is not a barrier anymore. You guys can run it too. The author said that Noah by faith built because he believed in the unseen. Abraham by faith left, lived as a foreigner, had children and descendants that blessed the nations, and offered his everything by faith. These great people of God believed and trusted. That was the element. Remember, guys, what faith is. It's not only just believing, but it's believing and actually trusting, believing and acting on the promises of God. So we're now going to look at Moses. Moses is probably the most famous person in the Old Testament. He's the author of the Pentateuch and the bringer of the law, the one who led the people out of slavery. So if Abraham is like George Washington, Moses is like Abraham Lincoln. You know, that's kind of the comparison there. Moses is revered. He is looked high upon. There's Father Abraham and there's Moses. And you can take your pick which one's more important, who's, who's awesomer. The scripture we read today was Hebrews 11, 23 through 29. And so what I want us to do today, is I just want to dive into this scripture, see the faith of Moses and what that looks like and see what we can glean from it. So we're just going to just dive into that scripture. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can keep it open on Hebrews chapter 11. And we're just going to kind of go a little bit verse by verse a little bit of that. It starts off in verse 23. It says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was an ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So I just want to start off by saying, we're going to start off with the faith of Moses' parents. Specifically, in the book of Exodus, it says his mother. So we're going to start off by the faith of the mother. And next week, by the way, is Mother's Day. For all you men who didn't remember this, you're welcome. Next week is Mother's Day, and so we want to honor and pray for all the mothers next week, so make sure you're here, and then make sure you made reservations a week ago, because they're all booked right now. But then if you can't get reservations, say, you were planning on cooking all along. You're welcome. But it says here, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months because they saw he was no ordinary child. What in the world does that mean? He was no ordinary child. I mean, what parent looks at their kid and goes, that's an ordinary kid? Not a single one. Every parent looks at their kid and says, that kid is something special. Every parent looks at their kid and says, that is a beautiful kid. Every parent looks at their kid and my kid is awesome. You know, I kid you not, the first time my kid started walking, I'm like, oh, he's an athlete. You know what I mean? You can't help it. That's just what you do. You, you, nobody thinks their kid is ordinary. It doesn't exist. But so what do they mean by this? What does it mean? In some translations, it actually says a beautiful child. Well, everybody thinks their kid is beautiful. What's happening in this context? I want you to hear this, and I'm going to explain it to what it means, but it, specifically what that literally translates to, no ordinary child, it literally means set apart. There's something different going on here. Something in her spirit knew that there's something different. I want you to think about this. Back in the day, before Moses was born, 400 years before that, Joseph went into Egypt, saved the Israelite people of famine and starvation, brought them all into Egypt. And they were there, and what happened is they started growing and multiplying. They grew increasingly. They were fruitful. But then a new ruler took over and forgot about the promises made to Joseph. And when they grew, he grew nervous. There's so many Israelites. 
What if they have an uprising? What if they try to take over the country? What are we going to do about them? So what he did is he enslaved them as a people. He said, well, got a labor force right here. Let me just enslave these people. So the Israelites became slaves 400 years ago. And after they became slaves, they became expendable. He would give, they would give them jobs that would lead to death, kill their firstborn sons when there were too many. Their lives became cheap. So 400 years of slavery, of this existence, where Israelites' lives were cheap. In this setting, in this time, Moses' mother acted and believed. You see, the command was that every firstborn child had to be killed. But the thing is, if that didn't happen, because nobody would kill, willingly kill their child, but if it didn't happen, your whole family would be killed. You would be killed. And understand, 400 years of people teaching you that your lives are cheap and your lives are expendable. But Moses' mother believed and acted differently. She remembered the promises made to her people through Abraham. She saw in her child that he was set apart for God. So she acted on her belief. Even though it meant a possible death for her and her family, she kept Moses because she believed in her heart. She believed in the promise more than she feared death. And Moses' life was spared by faith. 400 years of silence, 400 years of oppression, 400 years of crying out to God to deliver them, yet Moses' mother endured. She still believed. And she acted upon that belief. I'm just going to say this real quick. Guys, there are some of you here who you think God has been silent to you for a long time. I know it hasn't been 400 years for you maybe, but maybe it's felt like 400 years. Maybe you've been suffering. Maybe you've been dealing with illness. Maybe you've been dealing with issues and you're saying, God, crying out, why aren't you taking this? Why aren't you delivering me? Why aren't you fixing it? And this message to you is this, will you endure? Will you believe in the promise still, even after years of difficulty? Because Moses' mother discovered that it was worth it. And we'll see later in Moses' life, by faith he discovers that it's worth it to endure. 400 years of oppression that she chose to believe. Will you endure? Will you choose to believe? I love it. Moses' mother, by faith, risked it all. By faith, saved her child by faith, said our lives are not cheap and expendable. Found worth through her faith. Do you hear that? Your life is not cheap, cheap and it's not expendable. By faith, you're worth so much more. Verse 24, 25 and 26 says this. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Moses grew up in the court of Pharaoh. He grew up with every opportunity possible. He had wealth. He had power. He had it all. He had no responsibilities of Pharaoh. He had the dream job. I mean, it's a dream situation. For me, it's always like, it's kind of like this. It's like being the veteran bench player on an NBA basketball team. You make the league minimum of like eight to 10 million a year. You're not, you don't have to play in the game. You get to watch all the great players play and you have no pressure to perform because you're not really playing in the game. It's a dream situation. I wish I was a veteran bench player in the NBA. 
You have the best seat in the house. It's pretty amazing. It's like bring, being Prince Harry. You're not the eldest. You're not like Prince William. You have all the responsibilities of Prince William. You're not critiqued as much as him, but you're a prince. It's pretty awesome. You have all the benefits of it, right? So here's Moses in the dream scenario. This is what everybody dreams for. But Moses was willing to throw it all away. He threw it all away and be identified as a slave instead. This was a lifelong decision. I mean, it's easy to say for one day, oh, I can, I'm going to be a homeless person for a day. Anybody can say I can be something for a day or a night or a week. But Moses chose to identify himself, to give up the dream gig, and to say for a lifelong decision, I'm going to be a slave for the rest of my life. How in the world was Moses able to make this decision? To give up all the riches of the known world and to choose slavery. How could he make that choice? How could anybody make that choice? He was able to make this choice because he knew that this life is a vapor in light of eternity and because he knew that Christ is greater than all the treasures of Egypt. I'm going to say that one more time. Moses was able to make that choice to choose lifelong slavery because he knew that this life now is a vapor in the light of eternity and that he knew and believed with all his heart that Christ is greater than all the treasures of Egypt. I'm going to start with the first part, then I'll explain the second part later. Knowing that this life is a vapor compared to all of eternity. The reality is that so often we live as if this life right now is all that there is. Now, guys, hear me when I say this. I am speaking to myself here. This is not, hey, you guys live like there's no eternity. This is, hey, I often live way too often way too much of my life, as if there's no eternity, that this is all there is, that this life is it. We profess in a life eternal, but often our lives and the way we live it doesn't seem like we believe it to be true. We store up treasures here, not in heaven. We care more about what's happening now than we do what of eternal significance. Moses saw life in the right way. He saw that this life is a vapor, a snap in the light of eternity. Let me tell you, let me explain this to you this way. If I came up to you and offered you $100 million for me to punch you as hard as I can in the stomach, what would you say? Yes. yes. <laughs> There's nobody in the world that would hesitate at that unless you already had $100 million. I mean, like, even then, nobody would say no because a punch in the stomach is like, ow, it hurts for a little bit, but then I'm like, it goes away. It doesn't last very long. It might hurt. Oh, this is a lot really painful for like a minute. My punches might not be that strong, so it might be like 10 seconds, but it doesn't matter. It, you do it because compared to that fleeting moment of pain, $100 million is like, okay, yeah, that's a long-lasting significance there. Do you see your life correctly? Even a life of slavery, a whole life of slavery is fleeting compared to eternity as a reward. Do you understand that? Do you believe and trust in your eternity? Will you live as if this life is feeding, fleeting and before you is eternity in heaven? Will you live in light of it? Guys, can I tell you, for Josiah right now, when he's a little kid, he's four, and I say, Josiah, later, right? You have to wait five minutes. And he's like, five minutes is like an eternity to him, <laughs> right? He's like, that's forever. And then the older you get, you're like, you gotta wait an hour before you can do that. And every kid's like, an hour? Oh my gosh, that's so long. And the older you get, you got a, a day seems like forever, then a year. Then the older you get, you're like, oh, 20 years, it wasn't that long. <laughs> I feel like this just happened, right? 20 years ago, it wasn't that long ago, right? The older you get, you're like, 40 years? That's not that long. 
Because the older you get, you put it in perspective. You put it in scale. It's different. For when you're four, you're like a, a, a day is like forever. But for now, I'm like, oh, five years ago wasn't that long ago. Right? Guys, can I tell you that what you have before you, believe this, is eternity. And what you do now on this earth, while significant, is only significant if it has anything to do with eternity because your little blip here is this much compared to this forever. Do you see that? Do you believe that? Because if you do, then even a life of slavery is worth it for eternity because it's like that. It's momentary pain, fleeting pain, fleeting suffering compared to eternity. Those of you who are suffering today, can I tell you, I'm not trying to make light of your suffering. Not at all. Not even a little bit. But what I'm telling you, and I'm just going to be honest and truthful to you, your suffering now doesn't compare to eternity you have forever. That's the only way, if we can truly understand and truly believe that this life isn't all there is. If we can truly put into perspective our reality on this life and what is lasting, what we build, what we, what we do for the sake of the kingdom and for sake of eternity, that's what really matters. Do we see our lives in the right perspective, in light of eternity? Will you live in the light of eternity? Moses saw his life, even a life of slavery, as vapor, as nothing in light of eternity. Second, knowing that Christ is greater than all the treasures of Egypt. That's how you live like this. That's how you can choose slavery. Knowing that Christ is greater than all the treasures of Egypt. Moses was able to make this choice by faith because he saw his life as vapor compared to eternity. He also realized that knowing Christ is better. Now, this is clearly anachronistic. Moses is about 1,500 years before Christ is born. So some of you might ask the question, how in the world did Moses see Christ as greater? How could he have made this decision? He was 1,500 years born before Christ was born. Right? Did anybody else ask that question, honestly? Okay, at least one person. All right. Good job. Two. All right. That was a question I had when I first read this passage. Right? When I first read this passage, I'm like, I, can, I guess I can kind of make it sound good, but what does that really mean? How for the sake of Christ could he have done this? He's made a decision for the sake of Christ, he was greater. How could he have known the decision that Christ is better than without knowing Christ? Moses knew of the promises made to Abraham, and he believed them. He may have heard from his nursemaid, which was actually his mother. See, in Exodus, she actually kind of raised Moses till he was old enough to give back to the, the Pharaoh's daughter, which we don't know exactly how old that could have been. So Moses knew of the promises made to be their God and their great reward. He knew the promise made to Abraham. He knew the promise made to Adam. He knew the promise made to Noah, that he would be their God and he would partake himself of the covenant and punishment. He knew of the promises. He knew of enmity that God would place between man and the serpent. He knew these things. It was passed on. And in this knowing, he believed. He believed in God and trusted that salvation was coming. He knew that the people of Israel were destined to be people that would bless the nations. Even though they were now in slavery, he knew that there was coming a time, a savior, a right king, a more powerful king than even Pharaoh. And he believed and he trusted and he acted. It says he believed for the sake of Christ as greater. Now Christ, guys, I want you to know this real quickly, isn't Jesus' last name, in case you didn't know that, right? It's not Mr. Christ, okay? Just, just, just to let you know that, in case you weren't sure, you might, you might not have known that, he doesn't say surname Christ, 
Christ is actually a title, right? It means anointed one. It's a Greek translation of the word term Messiah. And so Moses believed in a promised deliverer, a savior to his people, which actually Moses ended up being a type of. You see, when we say that Moses believed in Christ as greater, he believed in the Savior, the anointed one. He believed in God himself providing salvation and being the king of the people. Do you hear that? Let me explain it this way. Quick trivia question. How many U.S. presidents were not born in the United States of America? How many U.S. presidents were not born in America? None. Because you have to be born in America, right? Incorrect. George Washington, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, all first seven presidents were actually not born in America because when they were born, there was no America. Ah, you guys like that. Trick question. You guys can use that later. It wasn't until Martin Van Buren, actually. He was the first president born after 1776, right? Now, I say this because in reality, in our light of eternity, from or this side of that happening, we can actually look and say they were actually born in America. They just, it wasn't America yet, but we know that it was America. Do you hear what I'm saying? So what we're saying here is what Moses did, what the author of Hebrews did, is yes, he didn't know Jesus Christ as the born Jesus Christ, but he knew the Savior, he knew the Messiah, he knew the anointed one, he knew salvation was coming, he knew the King was coming to deliver his people. The author is saying his name is Jesus. We know in this side of history, you know him, his name is Jesus Christ, and that was who Moses was believing in. That was who Moses had faith in. And he came. The anointed one came and he delivered his people. And Moses was a type of the Jesus. He was the one that says, yes, he showed what sacrifice that Jesus, not fully, not the way Jesus did it, but a picture of sacrifice that led to salvation. Do you see it? The point the author is trying to make is that Moses, by faith, identified with the greater purpose of God, looking to the reward and considering it greater to suffer in service of a just and godly cause and to receive earthly rewards, as he would have gotten from being in the Egyptian court. He swore his allegiance to a greater coming king. This is how Christ is better. See, how Christ is better, he seemed Christ was better than all the riches of Egypt. How is Christ better than, my next question, how is Christ better than all the riches of Egypt? Mind you, what is Egypt at the time, by the way? Super powerful country, the richest country, the most powerful country. The nation was just the center of learning and culture and wealth and riches and the most powerful, right? So he's saying, what, literally what he's saying, all the riches of Egypt, like saying all the riches of the world. Being the most rich and powerful person, the dream gig. He's Prince Harry once again. How is Christ better than that? How is what Christ has to give him better than all the riches? And I'm asking you the question, how is Christ better than all the riches this world has to offer you? Because can I tell you this, the riches of this world seem pretty stinking awesome. Right? Do you know Christ is better? Here's how Christ is better. Number one, the riches of the world does not answer the human condition. Most of you guys have heard me say all the time what I believe the human condition is, is that we want to be known, we want to be loved, and we want and crave purpose. 
I believe that's the human condition. I believe that's in every one of us as human beings. We have that issue, those conditions that we need met. The USA Today did a, a poll, this is a way a few years back, and they did a poll on how much money does it take for a person to be happy. So they would ask people who made $50,000 a year, and they said, okay, you make $50,000, how much money do you need to make for you to be happy? And their answer was around 100,000. <laughs> they asked people who made $100,000 a year. They said, how much money does it take for you to be happy? Their answer, they said around 200000 They asked people who made $200,000 a year. They said, how much money would it take for you to be happy? And they said around 500000 You see, the answer was always double what you had. In other words, the answer was always more. Because money doesn't make you happy, right? The riches of the world doesn't answer the human condition. You see, we want to be known. So if, if Moses remained as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, it would be, listen to this, a shallow knowing, a conditional loving, and an enslaving purpose. I'll say that again. A shallow knowing, a conditional loving, and an enslaving purpose. Shallow knowing. Deep down, Moses knew he was an Israelite. He was taught from an early age. This is who he is. This is his identity. But if he had to stay in Pharaoh's court, he would be denying that. He would be hiding, something we all know too well, huh? He would be wearing masks, denying who he was, hiding from everybody else. Oh, I'm not an Israelite. Isn't that what we do so often? Hide who we are, never be vulnerable, don't acknowledge, don't be, be the way we want other people to think we need to be, be fake, because we want some sort of love. It's a shallow knowing, not a true or authentic knowing, which this kind of shallow knowing here, this leads to conditional loving. His love was dependent upon the lie of him being only known as Pharaoh's daughter. As long as he played nice, as long as he denied who he was, as long as he didn't associate with the Israelites, as long as he didn't stand up for the oppressed or the slave, he could keep on wearing the mask. And as long as you keep on making money, as long as you keep on being famous, as long as you think you're perfect, maybe people will then keep on loving you. Right? This imperfect, this shallow knowing leads to this conditional loving. And you just kind of think maybe if I wear the mask well enough, maybe if I look good enough, maybe if I dress well enough, maybe if I make enough money, maybe if I have enough power, my parents would finally be proud of me and they'd love me. Right? Or maybe if I act good enough, live good enough, maybe the church will accept me. Or somebody will. Maybe if I live good enough, maybe I'm perfect enough, then I can get this girl to love me. And if this girl could just love me, then that's perfect. I'm good to go. It's a conditional loving. The shallow knowing leads to a conditional loving and leads to an enslaving purpose because then your purpose becomes to maintain the lie, to keep the mask up so you can be loved. Your purpose ends actually truly leading to slavery. You see, what Moses chose was a life of slavery to be really set free. Do you hear that? He chose a life of slavery to be truly set free instead of saying, I choose the life of Pharaoh to be made a slave. Shallow knowing leads to conditional loving, leads to enslaved purpose. But in Christ, hear this so well. This is what makes Christ better than all the riches of the world because Christ answers the human condition because Christ leads to truly authentic knowing. Because here's the deal. 
the mask that we wear, the, the stuff that we try to hide behind, he sees right through it. He knows the amount of hairs on your head. He made you, and you can acknowledge with Christ the sinfulness of your state. Because he loved you and he pursues you, not when you were good first, but even while you were an enemy, the Bible says, that you don't have to hide who you really are with Christ. You don't have to put on mask and be perfect before he loves and accepts you because the Bible says he loved and accepted you before. Do you get that? This is authentic knowing. This is stripping down the mask. This is stripping down all the things that we add upon ourselves to make us look good. This is taking away all these things that hinders us from truly being known, the things that we would want to be. I want to be known. Can I tell you that? Let me tell you, you know, my marriage relationship, that's one of the hardest things to really understand is I'm now, and I'm still not there yet all the way, but we're working on it, but now to actually have somebody who knows me as well, that's hard, right? But I, I crave it. It's hard to let go because my whole life I've been taught and I've been trained to not really let myself be known. Because when you're known, here's the risk, can you be loved, right? When you're known, the risk is then can you be loved? And so with Christ, you have authentic knowing, but hear this, you have authentic knowing that leads to unconditional loving. He knows you in your worst of state. He goes to you so that his love is not dependent upon what you do and how you act. His, not, his love is not dependent upon where you're at church on Sunday morning. His love is not dependent upon how good you look in that suit. His love is not dependent upon how much money you make. His love is not dependent on whether you got that job or you passed that class. just loves and he knows you and he chose you in the fullness of time he came and he died upon the cross so that even in our knowing and all our sin and all our issues and all our darkness and all our stuff in our true vulnerable state you're like I can't be loved there's no way I can be loved he says no no I came in the fullness of time Jesus came and he died upon the cross so that all of that stuff can be wiped clean that we can be forgiven and now what he sees when he looks at us is righteousness is holiness. That is our identity. His authentic knowing led to unconditional loving, which leads to incredible freedom in your purpose. No longer then is your purpose to maintain a lie. No longer is your purpose to win and to receive love. Now you can be free in your purpose to live the life that you are crazy to live. Free in your purpose to, 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 to be fully in love and in that love to express that love to the world. You're free to live as a slave because you're free, truly free eternally. Do you hear that? Christ is better than all the riches of Egypt because he answers the human condition. He authentically knows you. He unconditionally loves you. And he gives you true freedom and purpose. If you don't know Jesus like that, let me tell you that he died for you to know him like that. That he was in your place. He died upon in your place so you can be truly known and loved. And it's a free gift that he gives you. Nothing you did to earn it or deserve it. But it's yours to possess. Do not, do not let a moment go by where you don't grab a hold of that good news. Not only is Christ better because he answers the human condition, he's better because he gives us a new identity. 
We are now called sons and daughters. Galatians 4, 6 and 7 says, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God made you also an heir. Guys, I want you to hear this. Not only are we, is he better than all the riches, but he changes our whole identity. See, here's the thing. We see Moses as identifying as the son of Pharaoh. That was his identity. But then we see him choosing a life of slavery, and we think that's his identity. He's a slave. No, he's a son of the king. Do you hear that? No matter what is happening in your life, that does not identify who you are. If you are homeless right now as a child of the king, you are not identified as a homeless person. You are the son of the king. And if you're hurting right now, you're not a victim. You're not somebody who's only identified by being hurting. You're the daughter of a king. You're a beloved child. And that's your identity. Guys, I... I, I wish we could be like Moses and we can say, you know what, you can call me slave, you can put me in shackles, but you can never truly change my identity. Do you know who you are? No matter what the world calls you, no matter what happens in your circumstances, do you know who you are? As a son and daughter of God Most High, can I, can I just say this clearly to you? You are beautiful, you are loved. You're the son of a king, you're the daughter of a king, the king of kings. He changes your identity. And he also calls you a co-heir alongside Christ. Romans 8, 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I want you to hear this, what this means by being a co-heir. What being a co-heir means is not just this idea of Oh, I'm an heir. Like when you think of inheritance, you're thinking of like, ooh, how much money did I get? Right? You think of what did I get? But I want you to hear this is what makes it so much more incredible. Our identity changes. We're not known as sons and daughters. So we don't just get the inheritance of wealth and power and all this kind of stuff. We get something more incredible. Hear this very well. We're also co-heirs of the mission. Do you get that? See, that gives you incredible purpose, freedom and purpose to live out what you're made to be as a child of God. We are now, we receive the mission of God. That's so cool. Can I tell you, that's not playing the bench. That's not the, that's not, we actually say, no, no, you're on the, you're in the team now. That's not that role that I was talking about earlier about being on the bench or, or being Prince Harry. It's literally calling you to the very purpose, the very mission of Jesus. That is what we get to do. Do you understand that? We have significance in our life, eternal significance. Our lives have meaning and purpose. Not just sit around and eat, drink, and be merry, but now we have something that we can do. We're co-heirs alongside Jesus. We're working together. His mission is our mission. How incredible is that? Now, I know some of us are like, well, actually, I kind of like not doing anything. Yeah, okay, that exists. But can I truly tell you this? You really don't. Because if you want a life of significance, if you want eternal purpose, and our bodies, our souls yearn for it, this is what the mission of God gives you. He gives you calling. He gives you purpose. He gives you eternal significance. You and your life now matter. It matters. You're not cheap. You're not expendable. You're not worthless. You have purpose. You're known. You're loved. And you have incredible purpose. 
take a hold of the identity you have in Christ. No matter what you do, no matter what your parents were, no matter what people said about you, you are now a beloved child in Christ if you profess and believe and trust. You have worth in Jesus. That's why Jesus himself was able to be a slave. That's why Moses was able to be a slave because he knew he wasn't one really. And that's how we as Christians are able to suffer. That's how we are able to, to, to put ourselves lower. We are able to do all the hard and dirty things in this world because we know this life is a vapor, yes? In light of eternity, we know that Christ is better than all the riches because he answers the human condition. And we know our identity as beloved children that are called heirs alongside Jesus. Do you hear this? By faith, Moses was able to be identified as a slave and give up all the riches of Egypt because Christ is greater. Do you know Christ is greater? Are you willing to live your life in light of eternity knowing that Christ is better than all the riches of this earth? Will you do it for the sake of the kingdom and eternal significance? Amen? Let's pray together.